they didn't tend to. What's the right word, Adrian? Uh, Picayune. 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 Picayune is the right word. Picayune, like mm. irrelevant information, yeah. and then try and kind of catch you out on it and yeah, go, cool. oh, I, right. I know it. Yeah. It's just gonna, it's gonna yeah. like just yeah. a, an ego thing for yeah. this. Now, the, the, the word that I was after yeah. and came from the UK and straight was trapping. Trapping. You, yeah. you can deliberately trap somebody. Mm. <laughs> Hey, welcome to the Cancel Sarwatch Podcast. On today's show, Luke gears up for his first formal assessed ground exam. If he fails, he can't continue his dream to become a professional pilot. He needs to get at least 70% to pass. So as Luke hits the books, we hit our tiny little podcasting studio, a la home office, to talk about all things examinations. Exams are part and parcel of a pilot's life. Some are harder than others, but all come with an element of anxiety because they can literally make or break a pilot's career. All this and more on the Cancel Star Wars podcast. Thanks for joining us. So yeah, guys, we're here to talk about ground exams, ground theory, ground tests, those kind of things that pilots probably tend to hate. Uh, and I just found an interesting article here in Flying Magazine 1982. And again, I'll post the link there on our show notes. Put your uh, irony detectors on because mm-hmm. <laughs> I found some ironic things written here. <laughs> I don't think the author intended them to be ironic, but they are. Uh, so see how you go. Anyway, but this is what he says. He says, pilot license written examination. So obviously we're building up to you getting your pilot license on the next episode, yeah. uh, recreational pilot license, and that'll be our first flight test. So today's first ground exam. But Pilot license written examinations were first given in the 1920s, and pilots have been saying unkind things about them ever since. Written's, or written exams, have been criticised for being picayune and esoteric, though most of us use more colourfully descriptive words. Did your irony alert go off? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's actually, by using that word, picayune, I had to go and look that up. Well, do you guys know what that means? No, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. was like unnecessarily uh, detailed or f- kind of focusing on the wrong areas, like mm. focusing on things that are irrelevant. Yeah, picayune. Picayune. Mm. Good word. You can use that next <laughs> yeah. week. Oh, well. This is a picayune. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought it was funny because he's obviously criticising <laughs> examinations for yeah. being picayune, but by using that word, he's been picayune. But anyway, yeah. that could just be me. Yeah. Uh, the FAA, so this is American, but obviously there's also uh, Flying Magazine's American, but obviously the same kind of time period applies to Australia. Mm. In fact, it's interesting with Australia because Australia has a lot of firsts that people aren't aware of, which we'll get more into in the future because um, they were keen to embrace aviation from mm. a very early age because they saw the obvious benefits of being in the big brown land of Australia and being able to get across in relatively quick uh, time with aviation. Mm. Anyway, so the FAA used new methods of developing written tests, uh, hoping they'll be more flexible and relevant to a pilot's real world. The first example of the new style of tests was a new airline transport pilot exam. And it says here that'll be out later this year in the early 1980s, of course. Early pilot written tests had short questions but required lengthy essay answers. For example, a question may have been asked for an explanation of what IGE meant. No, I'm making that up. (laughs) That was from last episode for those who don't know. Uh, Of what factors affect an aeroplane during a turn. Some questions were so broad they were virtually impossible to grade. A question on the engine mechanics written test asked the student to describe the overhaul of a specific engine and list every procedure and tolerance. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Oh, I'd, have, I'd have nothing. Yep. 
Like, I mean, imagine how long that... I mean, you wouldn't have had enough time. You're essentially writing the engine manual all over again. Mm. By the early 1950s, more objective tests had been developed. True-false tests were tried, but their limitations became quickly apparent. The multiple-choice test became a standard. Later in the 1950s, written exams for private pilots were, for a while, dropped in the belief that flight examiners could cover the same material material during an oral examination. Man, so you wouldn't have had to do your ground exam back in that day. Yeah, well, this is true. I think I preferred it, though. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is better. Some examiners did, uh, as in the oral examination. Some didn't, so the written test was reinstated to maintain consistency. But ever since then, government agencies, both in the US and Australia, have regulated aviation and required uh, ground exams, ground theory, to be mm-hmm. done in a standardised kind of way. And all us here have done a variety of tests. Some, obviously, Luke haven't done quite as many. Uh, seems probably done a heap more than me. But it's just a part of life. It's something you have to accept as a pilot. You're constantly tested and assessed. You're constantly examined. It's a bit mm. of a pain. Even as a private pilot or recreational pilot, there'll be a regularity to the exam yeah. exams yeah. and so forth. So that's what we're here to talk about today. But uh, it appears that ground theory was as distastefully necessary in the 1920s as it is today. Any surprises there, Sam? Yeah, no surprises. How did you find ground exams? Well, not too bad because mm. I've always had a very analytical approach to any mm. subject, even when I was at school, and I quickly picked up the idea that there's only so much they can test you on, mm. and providing that you've got a feeling for what is what is in fact important on that particular lesson on that particular day, there's only so much they can ask realistically. So then I went into uh, the Army 15 and a half years and this process of teaching is very structured. They'll always start off with is the, the aim of this lesson is to such and such. Mm. That's going to give you a pretty good, a good idea as to what mm. the content's about. Mm. And then after that, all, they'll give you a conclusion. Whether it's a practical or a theoretical mm. subject, mm-hmm. they're the two areas that are going to give you a good idea as to where the questions are going to come from. So one of the things that I picked up on flying training straight away was to make notes, handwritten notes, mm. at the end of, of a debrief, while the debrief was going on. Mm-hmm. And that always gave you a, a good feeling for uh, mm. what your your ground trap was going to be mm. on a flight, mm. on an assessment yeah. flight. My, uh, my experience, first of all, was that I thought, because I'm a person that feels like if I don't know everything, then I'm somehow not up to standard mm-hmm. and so I would just prepare to the nth degree I was up on pilot's course you know until 11 midnight you know just every night just hitting the books hitting the books and and in the end I became counterproductive because I wasn't getting enough sleep and so mm-hmm. you later on found out that you know long-term memory is formed by, from short-term memory generally when you're getting enough sleep one of the effects of fatigue is you don't transferred a long-term memory and so it took me a while to realize as well that most of the instructors wanted you to pass they weren't trying to catch you out either I always had this sense and maybe it was from the early days at Tamworth that they were trying to catch you out and so there'd be these squirrely kind of questions that were you know they could go either way kind of thing and so I always wanted to be prepared for those mm. um, and then as a result I used to over prepare all the time and it took me a while like you said there's only a certain amount that they can ask you in an exam anyway um, so I had to be kind of more realistic about it because what this came down to for me was the level of nervousness and anxiety, although I was never as anxious about ground exams as I was about flying exams because flying exams had so many more variables in them. Mm. It's like a driving test except 100 times worse because it's three-dimensional, you know. Mm. So, But you had your first exam uh, the other day in preparation for your 
yeah, RPL, yeah. recreational pilot's license. Just tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, the basic aeronautical knowledge. Uh, yeah, it was really, really good. I think I, um, I actually kind of combined maybe both of your approaches because mm. I am also one of those people who, if I don't feel like I know the whole mm. textbook back to front, I feel like I don't know enough. Um, but I'm also very analytical as well. And I think the thing that I came to realize is a lot of the questions, at least on the basic aeronautical knowledge stuff, is if you just understand the basic fundamentals of how how mm. flying works mm-hmm. a lot of the questions on the exam you can just figure out like mm. even if you yeah, hadn't right. thought about it necessarily before yeah were they multiple choice or long yeah answer? yeah multiple, they were multiple yeah, yeah. multiple choice which yeah. obviously helps like yeah, you know, yeah. if you uh, it might be a bit different if you had to give long yeah. answers and stuff like that multiple guess um, Multiple guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. C, isn't it? It's always C. If <laughs> yeah, if I'm sure, go with C. <laughs> or, you know, if you've had three A's before, it's probably going to be like one of the other three. <laughs> I really enjoyed studying for it, and I think it's uh, something that I actually enjoy because mm. aviation is one of those fields where you do learn a lot about a, a lot of different mm. things. So, you know, mm. um, aerodynamics, how the engine works, mm. meteorology, mm. bit of law, human performance factors, and being a bit inquisitive, I kind of really yeah. enjoyed just learning about all those different mm. things but um my uh what'd you get that's I got, a big question i got 91 percent. so i was pretty oh yeah well, that was pretty uh, good yeah. so i think the pass mark was only 70 but i've set a personal minimum mm. at least well we'll see how we go but personal minimum of 90 90 percent because yeah. you know i feel like i don't want to be going flying with a pilot that only knows 70 percent of what they should so <laughs> i can't expect it. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Only seventy percent dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so. people, um, people may not realise aren't uh, in aviation that most exams, uh, ground exams, are anywhere from seventy to eighty. Some are in the military ninety or a hundred. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's generally uh, more than fifty percent anyway, which. If you're flying with a pilot, be happy that they've at least 70%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't think too hard about that. Mm. <laughs> Anything that'll stand out in your memory from the test or just the prep? or Because you're obviously working full-time as well, and people may not realise that. Yeah. You're working full-time trying to get through, pursue your dream of being a pilot uh, with all the uh, rigours of everyday life. Probably the thing that helped me out the most was just doing practice exams. So you yeah. obviously need to know you know, a broader range of stuff yeah. that's, than is just on the exam. But just like Sam was saying, if you kind of know the content yeah. that is going to be tested on the exam, you can feel a lot more confident going into it. And yeah. um, I did a whole heap of practice exams and I actually kind of set up a little flip card thing. So as I was going mm. through the... Uh, the textbooks uh, whenever I came up against something that I'd seen in a pre- mm. actually so here's a cool thing that I did which yeah. I don't know if this works for everybody but mm. before I even started actually putting the time mm. aside to study specifically mm. for the exam I did a practice exam just to see what kind of stuff they were going to test on so mm. that as I went through my study I would like be reading through my textbook or something like that and I'd read something about oh so you know what happens when angle of mm. attack increases or something oh I remember that was a question on the exam mm. I better kind of mm. make sure I've got this all down yeah. pat, uh, down pat, um, and so as I was going through the textbook, I made actually made a little Google sheet that had like a questions column and an mm. answers column, and then mm. I because I'm a yeah. I'm an IT guy, so my actual mm. day job is an IT guy. I made a little plugin mm. that turns that into a randomized flip card game, mm. and so I just sit there every night mm. going through my 200 question database on wow. uh, all this other different stuff, and it paid looks like it paid out in the end because I got 91. percent So wow, but uh, yeah, just 
good prep. I don't know, general knowledge of how things work. You can usually figure yeah. stuff out that you don't know. Are you working on an app as well? I am, yes, when I have time. That's kind of been put on the back yeah. burner a little bit. It's like a study guide, study app with questions. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of just yeah, all the stuff you'd generally be asked. Mm. Or it's kind of yeah. it's not necessarily kind of like a, a testing kind of thing, but yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a quick, more of like a quick reference yeah. of you yeah. know, stuff pilots should know. And, and, and even though we hate exams, I mean, what you said there, by doing all that, you end up learning a whole heap more mm. than what you require for the exam mm. anyway. And so that I think that's the idea. And if an exam's well written, mm. then it'll do its job in that regards. But how about you, Sam? Did you notice anything sort of about the way Luke was tested or how he prepared compared mm. to yeah, how you yeah. were first prepared many yeah, years ago? Yeah, I kind of wasn't really trained to uh, study as such mm. back in the in the old days but there's so many things nowadays a real knowledge now that of various ways that you can improve your retention of knowledge and as you said you you created a, an app or you mm. so you're actually inputting information so that's a, a manual thing mm-hmm. so that's one of the methods mm. of you're doing it manually it's going into a certain part of your brain if you're reading it or whether it's from a book or whether it's from a, a computer. That's another one. You've got the visual input that goes to a part of your brain. And another one is your, is your speech. So if it's something you really want to really need to learn or you want to learn, mm. if you can combine as many of the methods mm. of learning as possible, you've got a much better chance of reta- retaining the knowledge. Mm. That's great. And like you think about emergencies as an example, mm. the boldface actions that mm. you're required to remember off by heart, that's exactly what mm. you can be doing. You know, you talked about using your kind of mental mapping, uh, mind mapping kind of thing, sitting in a seat with the controls mm. or at flight sim mm. by speaking out uh, and then doing, like putting your hand where the controls yeah. or, or yeah. the switches that you're going to be uh, looking at or touching, all that then cements it in your mind. Yeah. It's amazing how much you can do. I mean, there must be about a thousand items in the Blackhawk checklist which yeah. you've remembered by like you said, experiencing it yeah. essentially with everything. Yeah. When the chips are down, you want somebody, I want somebody in the cockpit, and including myself, mm. who will actually say what they're doing because mm. most of the aircraft you operate now are multi-crew. Yeah. So you're saying it to yourself. You're conveying to the crew what you're doing. Mm. You say, therefore, you've got somebody backing you up, the crew resource management, that sort of thing. And there's a real danger if in a really bad situation if somebody goes quiet, that means their, their mind is blanking out. Yeah. So it's a good indicator that part of your other team, and they should pick up on you. If you've yeah. gone quiet, your brain's not working. It's ceasing to function. It's just a purely chemical thing. Yeah. It doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. very, very important. You, you, in fact, become your own co-pilot. Mm. So in many ways, some of the instructors, by saying you don't need to say that now, doing themselves and mm. yourself a disservice. Yeah. If you feel more comfortable saying it, mm. say it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and tell him that. I feel yeah. more comfortable saying this. Mm-hmm. And tell him the reasons why, why you do that. Yeah. And also what happens then in a multi-crew environment, like say a Blackhawk, somewhere you've got crewmen in the back, they then can hear what you're doing and go, oh, hang on, you're really supposed to be doing that right now. They now share that mental model. They're actually now contributing to your safety margins because yeah. they can hear what's going on and yeah. the better ones will actually go, oh, hang on, aren't we supposed to be touching this switch right now or something? Yeah. Mm. Um, not not to great detail, but you know what I yeah. mean, you're sharing that. Yeah, so, yeah, very, that's a great point. A very good example of that is specifically Iroquois. They would always fly when they're going into a, into a pad. Or during Vietnam. Vietnam was yeah. a good yeah. example. Yeah. And uh, but we used to use that. That same ethos when we were flying mm. was they would say they would both be on the controls, one person ghosting the other one, mm. and the pilot in command would always say, "Commencing the approach now." Mm. So for that point, the co-pilot and the people in the back knew what the line was. Mm. If the guy 
departed from that line, mm. they were expected to, to, to say something. Yeah, cool. And the reason behind it was there were a number of occasions where the pilot got shot and he's quietly bleeding to death and falling unconscious, the old mm. vision going. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's departing yeah. off the thing and nobody's saying anything. Yeah. And that's why they brought yeah. in the two ghosting the controls and saying yeah. that. Well, that, and that was a physiological thing. Like, if someone's dying, they're not going to maintain the line. But equally so, in normal circumstances mm. now, with augmented visual displays mm. and stuff, it's easy to misjudge. So mm. physiologically, you're misjudging the line. You don't intend to, but mm. you are. Particularly people new to night vision goggles, they almost always want to put their tail in the trees because they're misjudging. They're trying to get closer to the ground. And so by visualising things and, you know, again, verbalising things, it's a really important thing. I think that get, getting back to, you know, ground exams, I guess what we're saying is if we're preparing for something contextually, if we can try and make the preparation as close to the real thing as possible, Mm -hmm. then that's going to be a good thing because that's going to, again, cement the thing in our head and it's going to be much more realistic. Obviously, simulators are awesome for that, but we don't all have access to simulators. Yeah, well, just on the simulators, sounds a bit nerdy, I know, but before I go for any actual practical flight, I'll mm. just do a quick round in the simulator just to, like, it doesn't feel the same, all the, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything. On Microsoft Flight Sim. Yeah, Microsoft yeah, yeah. Flight Sim, but all the procedural stuff, so, yeah. um, you know, when you turn your fuel pump off, making mm. calls, all that kind of yeah. stuff, it's really great just to refresh oh, your memory. And what I've actually done is I've set up a profile on Flight Sim that my default one mm. will have just random failures any, like, at any point between mm. 10 minutes minutes and, and, and an hour so mm-hmm. some days I'll do my little pre-flight thing in the simulator and won't get any kind of failures but other days there'll be an engine failure on takeoff and I found that the first time I had an engine failure on takeoff mm-hmm. in flight sim I would have actually killed myself because I didn't mm-hmm. nose down or anything like that oh, I was yeah. like oh so now I kind of mm-hmm. I don't know it's it's I know it's not the same at all oh, but yeah. it's certainly primed me to be a bit more yeah. cautious when I'm doing it for real like oh, yeah. if I have an engine failure I've got about two mm-hmm. seconds to put the nose down before we stall and spin yeah. so. but you've got what you've got there is many of the contour lines of reality mm. like matching up with what's happening in the sim so mm. in microsoft flight sim yeah it's not exactly the same but it's close mm. enough i mean one of the ways i prepped up was i i invented parks huey i in fact know they were parks ct4 tidbits parkies ct4 tidbits and they were like all the essential items we were required to remember and i put them up on the back of the toilet door and uh, and then they morphed into squirrel tidbits and huey tidbits now mm. i call them interactive study guide or whatever and uh, <laughs> try, to, try to get it out there copyright. Few copyright issues which we won't talk about but anyway you can email me if you're interested but what was great about that is oftentimes you're going oh okay i know the tgt or turbine gas temperature limits are this i just can't quite remember that one and you end up wasting a heap of time looking it up mm. and whereas it was just on the back of the dunny door what was awesome was like oh oh yeah, that's what these again or you know <laughs> now i've got it in my smartphone as an interactive thing i can just bring it up straight away yeah. not while i'm driving or flying yeah. of course and just look at it straight there so it's mm. that accessibility as well because often there's a natural laziness it's like if i have to go to a textbook or even you know electronic book and then try and find it find the right place it takes a while so no, i can't be bothered you mm. know whereas if it's mm. right there boom straight into the head kind of thing again to reinforce because mm. that's i mean even now sam you'd agree wouldn't you that we're not so much learning a new theory it's more trying to remember when mm. we have an exam or whatever trying mm. to remember the theory that we were taught many years ago mm. just because you've forgotten so much but mm. But what was your first ground exam like? I mean, can you remember it all? Yeah, well, probably the first major one flying-wise would have been, uh, and I'm not sure about this, it would have been aircraft systems or aerodynamics. And uh, as we said before, you know, the the intro and the conclusion gave a pretty good idea. I guess that goes on to how much of what was studied was relevant. It probably varied greatly as the syllabus and the content 
of mm. in various parts were were being rewritten, mm. and we've all both been involved with constant rewrites of syllabus. Mm. And how do you do that if you haven't got much experience or if you've got a lot of experience? Mm. And then you then you've got to pass it. Nowadays you've got to pass it by the education experts, and they say you can say this and you can't say that, and mm. so it probably makes it difficult. But I'd probably say very little, probably ten yep. percent, was relevant. But yeah. it makes if if you know a lot of stuff by the time you become an instructor and you have to do a, a ground trap, which, which we'll talk about later, you can really make a real beast of yourself. <laughs> but is it relevant? No, probably not. You, I, I kind of think the more you know, it, it's good in the overall big picture. Of of aviation mm. as it slowly sinks over in over mm. a period of time it also forms the basis of specific information that you can draw on at a specific time and that's usually not in the cockpit it's usually outside of the cockpit to try to solve a problem mm. or mm. or make something easier for the for the trainee there's only there's only so much yeah. you can do in the cockpit anyway yeah. and it's interesting yeah. you said 10 percent mm. so 10 percent of what we've been taught is actually being directly relevant yeah. And it was interesting, I did a little experiment the other day, I got all my books out, because I was trying to get rid of a heap of them, to do with aviation, aviation textbooks, I think I ended up giving you some. Yeah, yeah. So I laid them all out, uh, did it in the garage, it took up the whole garage floor, it was double bay garage, so six metres by six metres, these books covered pretty much the whole floor, it was like aerodynamics, meteorology, aircraft systems, air law, Morse code, remember when we had to use yeah. <laughs> 10, 10 words a minute, did, did, da, 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 like listening. Yeah, well. you, I mean, that took so many days and weeks to learn and, you know, we things like that, which I've never used, never. <laughs> like you got a map with the thing, with the Morse code on it and it says, yeah. if you want to really... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and nowadays you, with the glass screens, it says what the thing is anyway. Yeah, it does. And now a lot of them are AWIBs. So, I mean, people may not be aware, but what used to happen was with the navigational aids, they had a Morse code identifier. So it's a very simple dit dit da like Toowoomba was T-da-da. I can't remember. So the rest, and then WB. Yeah. So you knew it was Toowoomba, not Kingaroy, and you were mm. going to the right aid. But nowadays, like Sam was saying, it's actually written on the map. The dit, da, da, or whatever is written on the map. So yeah. you can just go, oh, yeah, and then listen. And nowadays, it's automatic anyway, and oftentimes it's giving you the weather and saying, this is Toowoomba Aerodrome weather, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like, so... And then there was uh, dangerous goods, human physiology, human psychology, safety management systems, risk management, and the list just went on. I was like... <laughs> All these things I've learned, and nowadays it's an aviation degree, really, Um, but how much it was actually relevant. But that's where I started thinking, okay, there's always your working knowledge, your functional knowledge that you need to know every day, and then there's an uh, augmented form of that in an emergency, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of the gee whiz theoretical stuff, which we just have to learn because we're told to learn it. And you never know where maybe in one small kind of event, confluence of events, where that little bit of information about how many rivets are in the tail boom suddenly becomes important. Maybe, you know, mm. not probably, not probable, but possible. But really, uh, it's about knowing those key things. And I've always mm. thought, okay, if you took away all your, all your knowledge, what would you want to keep? For me, I would want to keep aircraft systems. The, the essential parts of the aircraft system and I'll want to keep the essential parts of air law because you've got to know the rules and yeah. a lot of those rules are written in blood and then met because mm. they're the things that can yeah. bite you. They're all the things that are going to kill mm. you. Um, so that's sort of my take mm. on mm. things. I think my first negative experience with a ground exam was actually back when we did helicopter training and we had our solo exam, pre-solo exam, and they decided to make it 100% pass mark. 
Now, the trouble with 100% pass mark is, especially if it's not a multiple choice, yeah. is, is it can be very arbitrary, and it was a new exam. So there was about, at that time, there would have been about, I think there was about 14 of us left. Mm. And remember how I said I wanted to know everything, so I would prep and prep and prep. Yeah. Well, there was only two people that passed. I won't tell you whether I was one of them or not. I'll leave that a mystery to our <laughs> listeners. There was only two people that passed, and then when they did the retest, because normally on course, if you did a retest and failed the retest, that's it, you're off. Mm. You're off course. They sent a psychologist out because they had a psychologist at the time to find out what was going wrong with all these people on course and he kind of did a bit of assessment on us and all that. So then they did the test again and this time nearly everyone passed except two people. And it's like, now, I'll put it to you. If you've got a bunch of people who have been recruited that are relatively smart and they're relatively hardworking, what's the problem? Mm. Is it the people mm. or is it the exam? Yeah. Mm. It was the exam. Yeah. But would they see that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. There's got to be something wrong with you guys. It's like, come on. Yeah. Like, uh, so that was my first negative example. And it just goes to show that it can kind of detract from what you're trying to achieve. You know, Exams need to be reviewed. Exams need to be looked at as well as the examinees. But, of course, I guess in our pride we can easily go, oh, it's the exam, it's a dumb question. But we still need to be humble and go, no, 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 there's something to learn from this. Mm-hmm. Just as we're getting to the end here, anything that sticks in your memory worth telling us about grand exams, Sam? Yeah, you've got you've got two two ground exams. There's, there's the theory, where mm. you sit down and formally uh, write mm. or answer, and the other one's the pre-flight assessment, which we'll call the ground trap. That's when you're asked questions before you go flying to make sure you've got the knowledge. There's two types of those. The one that's prior to the instructional sortie is pretty cut and dried. That's what you, we've spoken about before, mm. the knowledge is necessary for that flight. But the one that gets you or can get anybody, you can fail Anybody, if you've got this mm. whole heap of knowledge like Adrian has, you can you could fail you could fail anybody, mm. and, and, and uh, they could fail me too. Like absolutely, that. Yeah. yeah. The ground trap can either be positive or negative. Mm. Now, I've found in our system in Australia, we sourced a lot of our instructors through the United Kingdom. Mm. The other uh, lot went through America. The American system, I felt, was far better. They didn't tend to. What's the right word, Adrian? Uh, Picky you. Picky in. Picky in is the right word. Picky in. Like mm. irrelevant information yeah. and then try and kind of catch you out on it and go, it's cool. oh, it's I, like, I know it. It's yeah. just gonna, it's kind of yeah. like just yeah. a, an ego thing for yeah. this. No, the, the, the word that I was after yeah. came from the UK instru- was trapping. Trapping. You, yeah. you can deliberately trap somebody. Mm. They were actually taught that as a. I didn't know that. Over there. Mm. So they would come out here and they mm. they, they could fail anybody. Mm. And that is really, really, it's not a humbling experience at mm. all. It's, 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 it's more than that. Mm. It can be devastating because you're talking about somebody's future, their mm. dreams, all that sort of thing is on the line. It can be cut off just at somebody's whim that he's smarter than you are yeah. and he's going to yeah. he's going to really nail you. I didn't feel it uh, either in the aircraft or on the ground. I didn't think it achieved anything because I think when you're trying to learn something or teach somebody, where do you get the information from? Mm. It doesn't matter mm. as long as they get the information. It's no, I agree. And it's interesting you said about the States because when I was in the States on my exchange, they brought to my mind working knowledge. So I was learning all these things and I go, hey, Parky, working knowledge. We just want you to know working knowledge. Mm. And they had worked that out really well because they were always going on missions. They were always deploying and they wanted to know what they needed to know. That mm. It was a naturally self-correcting kind of curriculum because it was mm. like, I don't need to know that. 
uh, when I go to war, I need to know this. And this is in a military context, but it's the same in the uh, civilian context where there's certain things that you really need to know. And there are a lot of egos involved, and that's where it takes a little bit of humility to go, well, you know, those instructors, I reckon we did lose a lot of people that we didn't need to because it's such a big confidence game. And if you then fail an exam, it can quickly put you into a downward spiral Mm. where you're just, oh, crap, man. And then you study hard, you stay up late, you get tired, and then you go and do the exam again, fail it, especially a flight exam. And I found, yeah, I found that. I, I really struggled with that. Just the, mm. once you'd failed something, it was like far out. It's hard to pick yourself up and mm. keep going, but yeah, you kind of yeah. have to. Yeah, I found that flying was all about confidence. That's why I had some bad experiences when I went through. It was part of the reason why I embraced becoming an instructor because I wanted to, whether I was successful or not, I don't know, but I wanted to be positive, mm. a positive influence to the trainees as opposed to a negative one. And you were, like you were a positive influence on me, on, you know, Richard, um, you know, Luke's dad, many other people. It was, you know, we enjoyed flying with mm. you and you still had a standard we still had to meet the standard but it was you and me were together facing mm. this inexperienced ogre you know mm. and, and rather than oh look at you you're just not meeting the standard it was completely it was almost like without saying it was almost like an aviation fatherly kind of thing it was mm. like I want to get you through this son kind of thing yeah just massively different you know I'm glad that came out because that's really important and I, I even remember you know with even having maybe been a bit negative about ground theory is I know that on tests when I had prepared well I always flew better I, you know, I hadn't done any flying in the sim to prepare for the test but I'd done my theory and I always flew better when I'd mm. done my theory whereas other times where I've been a bit lazy I didn't fly as well mm. I don't know why but it just it was just a correlation there so I think that's been a really good discussion uh, any final advice to Luke for ground theory Sam no I think you've got I think you've got a damn good handle on it Really mm, cool. Yeah, and I, and I, like, I like those ideas too. And you mm. know, maybe uh, if anyone's interested, they can email us or whatever and we can talk, talk with you more about your app, get your yeah, app yeah. out there. Mm. So how, no. how much is you selling it for? <laughs> Not for sale at the moment. I gotta... you, know, you know what you should call it? What's that? Picayune. Picayune. Oh, man. The Picayune app. No, like, oh. that'll, that'll look so cool yeah. on the app store. Picayune. Picayune. Yeah, we, we, we've, oh. we've all been through this. Some of our commanders have gone to university because to get above uh, major, I think it was, they had to have a university degree. They majored in big words and one of the ones that they impose on everybody else's war fighting was a good one and they never really understand that <laughs> that was a good one but the other one was extant and everybody picks up on this extant yeah well hey, and so i looked it up in the dictionary and all it means is existing well, what did you say existing but it doesn't sound uh, as cool yeah. but you know the old joke about staff college don't you What's that? Oh, before I went to staff college, I was fat, dumb, and happy. Now I'm just fat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, you could say that about ground theory as well. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't been to uh, staff college, so I shouldn't be saying things like yeah. that. It's still kind of funny. So anyway, we'll finish off there. But again, that's been a good discussion. Thanks, guys. Sawatch is the last radio call a pilot makes when a flight has landed safely. The SAR in Sawatch is an acronym for search and rescue. When a pilot radios cancel Sawatch, they let air traffic services know they have landed safely and the search and rescue watch can be cancelled. If the flight has been flown safely and professionally, then the cancel Sawatch call must surely epitomise the spirit of aviation because it will realistically represent the totality of a pilot's attitude, training, experience and wisdom in bringing the aircraft back home safely. Cancel Sarwatch, the call we hope every pilot makes, every flight, in the name of our podcast. Again, thanks for listening and don't forget to comment and rate us on iTunes and to visit us at www.cancelsarwatch.com where you'll find additional content to help you cancel Sarwatch. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.
hit your cancel sarwatch bookmark in about two weeks for our next episode.